You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. You know, this world is crazy. If I'm not going to get an amen there, I'm not going to get an amen anywhere else. So you're, you're depressing me. And, unless anyone wants to say, no, I think the world's going pretty well right now. Anyone? We'll start over here. Come over here. Come over here. Just in case I missed anybody. I'll put on my glasses even too. This world is crazy. You know why? Because the world does this one day and then it does this the next. And then it says, this is what you need to do. And we're like, okay. And then as soon as we do that, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's so yesterday. They do that with clothes. They do that with music. They do that with food. They do that with business models. They do that with masks. They do that with money. I mean, just invest here. Invest here. No, who invests there? Only, only weirdos invest there. I find... I find comfort in things that just stay the same. Don't you? I'm, I'm all for change. I think change is necessary every now and then as long as we're going in the right direction. I don't like doing the whole go this way and then that way, this way, that way, zigzag, everything. I mean, let's, let's go forward. But there are some things that just stay the same. Cereal will always taste better at night. Take heart in that, sir. That though the stars fall, cereal will taste better at night, always. Thank you. Some things never change. The cowboys are still terrible. I'm from Chicago, okay? I can say, I can say that. Do you know why I love Texas? Do you know why I love Texas? Because if it wasn't for you, Chicago would be last in everything. Thank you, Texas. I salute. Come and get me. Yes, here I am. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm waiting for the day where I will be in Texas longer than I've been in Illinois. That's, that's what I'm waiting for. It has not happened yet. So. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 13. Let's go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 13. This is a special passage of scripture to me because this is the passage of scripture that I preached from the night that you all voted for me to be your pastor. I'm not putting it up for a vote again because I'm afraid (laughs) of what will happen. But Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 7. I will read the odds. I want you to read the one even verse, okay? Make sure that everybody can see see the scriptures. We want you to be able to see it. It's so, so important, so powerful to be able to see God's word. I'll begin in verse seven. You join me on verse eight, and then I'll read verse nine to end. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you 
the word of God. That's very important right there. That, that little, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not prerequisite. Uh, that qualification, that qualification. Remember that. Who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, that word is not just talking about speaking back and forth. A dial- it's not just talking about a dialogue. It's talking about their life. Consider the end of their life. Now, let's read verse 8 all together. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, when you read scripture, sometimes you'll read a verse. It's like, it's a great verse, but what is it doing right there? We're talking about follow the faith of these people and remember the words of these people, the words who have, people who have spoken unto you the word of God, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can get into ancient literature as how English literature today, when we're really wanting to make a, a, a solid point, we have a linear argument, okay? And point one is this, and that leads to point two, and that leads to point three. And because of one, two, and three, this is the main point that I want to make. And you follow me along, one, two, three, punch, right? That is linear English literature and, and argument. Biblical and ancient literature, what they did is they put the main point in the middle of something. So I'm going to put one and two here, put the main point in the middle of what you're reading, and then conclude with three and four. It's different to us, but they would have thought that our linear reasoning was, was different to them. So the main point he's trying to make is verse eight. That we, just, that we just read. And verse 9 and 7 kind of surround it. So verse 9 says this, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. Now that's not talking about like scuba diving. Diverse, different, various, and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established, not carried away, but established, founded, firm, steadied with grace, not with meats, and if you read a, a little earlier, he's talking about the sacrifices and the law and all these different ordinances of the Old Testament. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about grace. Meats have not profited them which have been occupied therein. Okay? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would please bless the reading of your word. Save the soul in here that is nearest hell. Revive backsliders, bring the prodigal home, and glorify your name. For Christ's sake, Lord, and we are so thankful this morning that you are the same in such a changing world. Help us to see the truth that comes from that, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Why is the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible? Now, don't answer, but I just want you to think about it. Why is the story of... Noah and the ark in the Bible. There's a lot of things that happened in history. Just in the three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, John the Beloved said, if you would have written everything that he did and said, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. There's a lot of things that happened in history. Why is Adam and Eve's story in there? Why is Noah and the ark's story? in there? Why is Moses and the burning bush in there? Why, why is David and Goliath in there? Why is Joshua and Jericho in there? 
Why is Rahab in there? Why is that story in there and, and not other stories? Why is Elijah at the brook Cherith in there? Why is Haggai's sermons in there? Just a short book, two chapters. Why was it so important to put that in? Why is the feeding of the 5,000 in Scripture? This is a big one. And just to give you a hint, kind of a, a spoiler alert later, it's going to come back. Why is Saul's conversion story in the Bible? That, that one is very important. But why is that story in the Bible? Why is John's vision on Patmos that leads to the book of Revelation? Why is that in Scripture? Now, I can name so many more stories, and I plan to throughout the message. But go ahead and think of your favorite Bible story. Or take the next, take the next 10 seconds and think of as many Bible stories as you can. Just rattle them off. But when you do, I want you to ask yourself, why is that story in the Bible? Now, I think we can make the argument that each of those stories is in there to serve its own specific yet different purpose. And I think we'd be correct. I'm not trying to trick you. Would we, would we be correct in saying that each story is in there to serve a purpose and, and its own different purpose? The story of Rahab teaches a different lesson than the story of Joshua and Jericho. So I think we would be we would be fine. We would be correct in saying that each story is in there to serve its own separate purpose. But this morning, I want to make the argument that each story that you just thought of, that I just named, and so many more that we can rattle off, and even not stories, just, just books of the Bible that are not stories, but are maybe just re reporting doctrine. Each of those things is in there to serve one purpose. One same purpose. And to say that would not be negating that they're also in there to serve their own separate purposes. What I want to point out is the one main purpose. And there are several verses in the Bible that I can think of that connect every single Bible story to one purpose. And of the several verses that I can think of, the one that makes the clearest connection, the one that can take Genesis to Revelation and say, this is what the Bible is for. The one verse that I think makes that connection the clearest is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, before we go on, I, I want to consider what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. So let's look at verse 8 in connection with verse 7 and verse 9. When you look at 7, 8, and 9 together, the writer is making a very clear point. He's, he's bringing forward a very simple lesson. Don't remember the words and don't follow the faith of every spiritual ruler out there. But remember them which have the rule over you who meet this qualification. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. That's whose faith you follow. Because that, 
Following that faith will lead you to a good end. Following that faith will lead to a good end of your conversation. I don't care how eloquent, how charismatic, how passionate, how persuasive, how stirring a ruler may be or a spiritual leader may be. What we would use, a pastor, a preacher, a minister, a missionary, an evangelist. I don't care how, how stirring that person may be. Don't follow anybody who's speaking their own words and following their own heart. Don't do that. Because if you are going to follow them, you're going to follow a winding and a changing path that will eventually lead to destruction. Now, they may seem to be doing well right now. Well, they have an online following of tens of thousands of people. Well, every time they open their building once a week, they have 5,000 people. And every time they go on a, uh, on a television program, millions of people are, are tuning in. They seem to be doing well. You do not gauge a spiritual leader off of where they are now. You need to look at where they're going. Consider the end of their conversation. They may look like they have everything together now, but where are they going? And the question is, a lot of them, they don't even know. But if you're going to follow that person, where he ends up is where you're going to end up. And you do not want to end up where man's words lead. Man's words are fickle. They're emotional. They are blind. And thereby, they are daily subject to change. Let's take the spiritual aspect out of it and let's just talk about the national and health aspect over the past three years of the entire world following man's words. It's been confusing. It's been frustrating. It's been convoluted. It's been gray areas over and over. And sometimes you have somebody over here who's screaming, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And then you have somebody over here with just as much enthusiasm who says, if you do that, you're going to die. And then you realize the same person who's saying this is the same person that said that a week ago. And if you're going to follow that, it's going to be frustrating. If you're going to remember and follow somebody, remember and follow somebody who speaks God's word to you. Because in a shifting and fickle and emotional world, God's word never changes. It's solid. And let's make a little spiritual leap here. Who is God's word? Jesus. I didn't ask what is God's word. Who is God's word? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. I love this in verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is God's word? Jesus Christ. The world is like an ocean whose waves are up one day and down the next. And you're born in it. You have, no, you have no choice. You are in the waves. 
And if you are going to survive the storm, you have, when you're drowning, what are you grabbing onto? Something else that is just as subject to the ways as you are? Or are you going to try to find something that's solid? If you are going to survive the tempest, if you are going to rise above this world, you have to grab onto something that is the same. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't grab on to divers and strange doctrines. If you do that, you're just going to be carried away. You're going to be carried away with every single up and down and ebb and flow. Grab on to Jesus Christ, for it is a good thing that your heart be established with grace. Here's all he's saying. Even though this world always changes, and even though you have a tendency to change along with it. It is not built into our nature to go against the grain. It's not. As much as we like to say, we're, we're Americans and we, we stand up and, and when nobody else will stand up, we'll stand up. And beyond being American, we're Texans. We, we again, we have been shown over the past three years when the majority is walking this way, we walk. Even though this world always changes, and even though your heart is prone to change with it, you can live an established life. You can live a solid life by following somebody who's following Jesus. I, I hope the day I stop following Jesus is the day you stop following me. Don't you dare follow me just because I'm the pastor. You follow me as I follow Christ. If I don't follow Christ, Brother John, you better get, you better get me out of here. Right. <laughs> you can live an established life by following somebody who's following Christ because Jesus never changes. Jesus is who he has always been. Who he was yesterday is who he is today. And who he is today is not just who he'll be tomorrow. It's who he will be forever. And that truth, that truth is the truth that connects every verse in Scripture to one purpose. It is that truth that will provide you with the key to understanding the one purpose that every Bible story and passage and verse is given to serve. So now for the next part of my message, I want to just focus in. I want to eat some ice cream, uh, some, some spiritual biblical ice cream. And I want to focus in on that truth that Jesus is the same. At the end of the message, I will show you how this incredible truth connects every verse of Scripture to that one purpose. I'll give you the one purpose. Think about this with me. If Jesus was subject to change, then we could have no confidence that what he did in Scripture is what he'd do for us. If he was subject to change, then what happened in the Old Testament and how God responded and how God acted and what God taught, I could have no confidence that that applies to me. But if he is the same, if Jesus is still the same God that we read about in the Bible, then don't you understand that whatever those people in those Bible stories found in him, you can find in him too. Because he's the same today as he was then. 
And if he is still the same person, then whatever he did for them, he can do for you. Because he's still the same today as he was yesterday. Now, I know you're tired, but doesn't that excite you just a little bit? <laughs> then tell your face. <laughs> All right, stick with me. I'll make you excited. And if I'm the only one up here getting excited, you're, you're, at least you'll leave here saying, well, he was excited. <laughs> Listen, 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 listen. Without Hebrews 13, 8, Adam and Eve would just be another story to me. But with Hebrews 13, 8, the story of Adam and Eve teaches me that as God desired to daily walk and talk with Adam and Eve, He wants to do that with me. He daily wants, desires deeply to walk and talk with me because he's the same. I don't care how much time has gone on. Time doesn't change him. So, okay, all right, now we're going to get you engaged because some of you still look like you're asleep. Let's get you engaged. What else does the story of Adam and Eve teach us? It teaches us that God warned Adam and Eve to stay away from sin. Trust my word. Don't do it. What does that mean for us? He wants you to stay away from sin because he knows it will kill you. What else? What else? The, the, the story teaches us that when Adam and Eve sinned, did you all say bless you to the person who sneezed? You're so sweet. You're, you're completely zoned in up here. Somebody's, bless you. <laughs> oh, man, you guys are incredible. Okay. When, what else does it teach us? When Adam and Eve sinned, there was punishment. Now, without Hebrews 13, 8, I would look at that and say, well, that stinks for Adam and Eve. No, no, no. Hebrews 13, 8 is in there, which teaches us what? When we sin, God will punish you because he's the same. What else does it teach us? When Adam and Eve sinned, God was heartbroken. He was heartbroken that separation had come between him and his creation. What does that mean for us? When we sin, God is heartbroken. But what else does the story teach us? I'm going to make a way to reconcile. I'm not just going to kick them out and throw them away and say, you made your bed, now sleep in it. I'm going to do everything, whatever it takes to restore this fellowship. What does that mean for us? When we sin and there's separation, God will do whatever it takes to bring you back into a relationship with him. Hebrews 13, 8 takes every Bible story and puts it in your lap and says, what are you going to do about it? Let's go on. Without Hebrews 13, 8, the story of the Tower of Babel is just a story. An interesting story. A bunch of people come together. They want to build a tower. But then what, is the, what does the story teach us? The story teaches us that God was watching. 
And that God wasn't just watching, he was interested. And that God wasn't just interested, he got involved with the decisions of people. What does that teach you and me? God is watching you. And he's not just watching you, he's interested in you. And he's not just interested, he's not indifferent. He will get involved in your life. He will restrict you when where you're going is going to hurt you. And he will constrict you. I don't know if that's a word. You know what I mean. You, you know what I mean. When you're not doing what you're supposed to do, he's going to get involved in your life. Don't you see how it gives you the key that when you read, oh, why is the story in there? Why is Moses' calling at the burning bush in there? Well, you need to understand, where Mos- why was Moses at the burning bush to begin with? Because God had called him to do something. God had called him to deliver the Israelites, and he tried to do it in his own power, and he tried to do it in his own timing. And so he murders an Egyptian, and he has to run into the desert for 40 years. It's a long time. How many of you are 40 in here and willing to admit it? Brother John, your entire life thinking, God's done with me. He had a purpose. I messed it up. But then the burning bush happens. And and God tells Moses, there's still work to be done. What does that teach you and me? God has a plan for you. And even when you mess it up, he'll give you a second chance if you will just obey him. Why is Moses' rod becoming a serpent in there? Is, Is it necessary? Yes, it's necessary. Because it teaches me the little, minute, small things that I have in my possession can do great things if I just let God take control over it. I can't do much with my family. I can't do much with my mind. I can't do much with my talents. I can't do much with all that. But if I just do what God tells me to do with it, oh my goodness, miracles happen. I don't know if we can claim that for ourselves. Not without Hebrews 13.8. But with it, sure we can. Why is Joshua walking around Jericho in there? Well, you have to put yourself in his position. Joshua is a soldier, a good soldier. Usually when people came into contact with the angel of the Lord, they immediately fall on their face and say, please don't kill me. Joshua pulls out his sword and says, hey, buddy, whose side are you on? Now, as, as soon as the person says, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm here to rule. Oh, okay. All right. Hang on. Hang on. Do you realize Joshua's tactics are still being used today in military? Joshua is a soldier. Can you imagine how he feels when God says, here's what you're going to do. Put your swords away. Don't talk. Don't speak. And tomorrow you're going to walk around the city once and go back home. And then again. And then again. And then again. And then again. And on the seventh day, swords? No. Spears? No. Bow and arrow? No. No. Walk around six times. A lot. Walk around a lot. There's a lot going on in here, guys. You got to give me a break. And then blow trumpets and scream. How do you think a soldier feels? So what, what, but why is that in there? Because it teaches me. It teaches me every now and then God is going to tell me to do something that just sounds absolutely ridiculous. 
but I need to be quiet and obey. And it teaches me that my victories do not come from dominance over my enemies. It comes from obedience to my commander. We could go on for so long. Why is Esther in there? Do you realize in the entire book of, of, of Esther, there's not one mention of God? His name is not in there once. And yet, when you see how everything works, all the coincidences in that story, there are no coincidences. There are only, there's only God. The same God that you serve is the same God of Esther. What does that teach me? Even when I can't see him, he's always working in the background. And you are here, and I am here at such a time as this to be a part of that work, not a hindrance to it. And if you want to sit out, fine, he'll use somebody else. But have you ever thought maybe he has you here at this time and in this place to make a difference? Why is Nehemiah in there? What a great leader, right? When you read it, you can't read Nehemiah without saying, my goodness, what a leader. Look at what he did. He builds the wall that hasn't been built in decades, and he does it in just a little over 50 days. Constantly enemy attacking, constantly people complaining, constantly people trying to join with the enemy, and he just goes and goes and goes and goes. Well, good for Nehemiah. Yeah, I would say that if Hebrews 13.8 wasn't in there, but Hebrews 13.8 is in there. Well, so what does it teach me? What is there? Do you realize Nehemiah was a cup bearer? That's all he was. He didn't come from some regal family. He didn't have this great education. He was the guy that drank the king's drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. What does that teach me? Well, if God is the same as he was in Nehemiah, that tells me he doesn't need this high and lofty positioned person. He just needs somebody who is available and somebody who will pray and somebody who will say, God, there is a need and I'm going to fill it if you will use me. I'm losing my voice. But do you see it? Do you see it? Why is Psalm 23 in there? Because just as David had a shepherd in the Lord, he's mine. He's my shepherd. And he protects me and he provides for me and he gives peace to me. Why is David and Goliath in there? Oh, good for David. No, it is to show me that I can find victory over impossible odds by standing on God's word and doing something for his cause. Why is the Song of Solomon in there? I wondered that for a long time. Why is that in there? Because just as that king fell in love with a lowly peasant girl, the king of kings loves me, though I have nothing to offer him. Why is Chronicles in there? It begat, 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 and begat, and begat, and begat, and begat, and begat. And, and you're, you're reading, and you're like, how long do these go on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to push through. Hard word begat hard word, and hard word begat hard word, and hard word begat. <laughs> 
Dodo? Who names their kid Dodo? <laughs> Dodo the Aho height. <laughs> Why is that in there? What Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 tells me is that just as God knew the names of all those people and he was interested in their families and he was interested in their lineages, he knows my name and he has a record of my life, whether I live for him or against him. Why is the story of Asahel in there? Asahel was of light of foot as a wild roe. The kid could run. Chariots of fire type stuff. And so the day came where an enemy king is running from him, and Asahel thinks, I'm the fastest person, I'm going to run after him. And he ends up dying because of it. What does that teach me? Every now and then, God is going to give me the ability to do something. Just because I have the ability to do it doesn't mean I have the responsibility to do it. I need to follow his will, not my skill. Why is Elijah at the brook? Because he can and will provide for me as long as I obey him. It's the same Jesus who said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The same Jesus that we serve. Why is David and Bathsheba in there? God will punish my sin, but he will also hear my prayer of confession and use even the worst part of my life to bring about something good. Why is Rahab in there? A sinner of sinners, that woman was. And yet she believed. And it led to her being an ancestor of Jesus Christ. A Gentile. What does that teach me? Well, good for Rahab? No, that God can give people with a horrible past an incredible future. Because we have the same God. Why is the feeding of the 5,000 in there? That all started with the boy and his lunch. All you have is all he needs. He doesn't need much. He just needs what you have. And he can, what, what is in your hands will always lead to deficiency. You give what you have in your hands to him, it leads to great sufficiency. Why is Lazarus in there? Well, his friends start crying and Jesus wept with them. You know what that tells me? When I'm sad, he's sad. But all it takes is a word from Jesus to rise again what is dead in my life. Why is Jairus and his daughter in there? While Jesus tarried, the daughter died. You know what that teaches me? Every now and then, God is not going to work on my timetable. But the greatest miracles that he, ever, that he ever performs is when I think all hope is gone. And he says, watch this. Fear not. Only believe. That's the same God. It's the same God. Why is the woman at the well there? Another sinner of sinners who comes up and talks to Jesus. It just starts with a conversation. It leads to a conversion. And then it ends with a congregation. What, is that, what does that teach me? It teaches me I don't have to be a Bible scholar. I don't have to have the cleanest past. I don't have to be this great preacher. I don't have to be a long-time Christian. I just have to tell people, come and see the Christ. And God can use it. Why is the maniac of Gadara in there? A man who had legions of devils over him. 
where everybody feared him. Why is that in there? Because it tells me it does not matter how much of a grip Satan has on your life. You bow at the feet of Jesus and he's got to leave you alone. Why is Saul's conversion in there? I told you this one was important. Why is Saul's conversion in there? You want Saul's reasoning? Here's his reasoning. For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them who will hereafter believe. Why is Saul's conversion in there? Because God wants to show you if I can forgive him, if I can have mercy on the chiefest of sinners, don't think for one second I won't have mercy on you. Don't think for one second I won't forgive you. Don't think for one second I will not use you. If Jesus was willing and able to save a man like Saul, he's willing and able to save somebody like you, no matter what you've done, because he is the same today as he was back then. Time doesn't change him. And society doesn't change him. And man's words don't change him. And man's will doesn't change him. Not even our failings change him. Man's ways don't change him. All of hell's arsenals don't change him. The tallest mountains could fall on Jesus Christ and he would remain unchanged. Every star could be shot at him and he would remain unmoved. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Without Hebrews 13, 8, one would be tempted to make the argument that the Bible is nothing more than a book filled with interesting stories to educate people and entertain people. With Hebrews 13, 8, the Bible can never be dismissed. It can never be locked in the past. It places every word of scripture square into your lap and he dem it demands you to believe the holy God that was holy back then is still holy today and will be holy forever. As God could not tolerate sin yesterday, he does not tolerate sin today. Don't buy into this lie that God is just okay with your sin now. We live under grace, and he understands. Hashtag, he gets us. That will work just as well as New Coke. Do you remember New Coke? Coca-Cola had their recipe. No, it was way before I was, I was born. I was born in 1991. So like, why are we here? Who is, this, who is this child? That's whose faith we're following? Yikes. Okay, just calm down. Remember New Coke? Didn't work, did it? Didn't work. And, and you know what these churches are coming out? New Jesus. Not gonna work. We have the original recipe, just leave it alone. This idea that he is not holy anymore, he is still holy. And he is holy enough to send a sinner to hell. Oh, it got quiet. He's holy enough to send a sinner to hell and he'd be right to do it. Because the righteous God we read about in here is still righteous today and he will be righteous forever. He's never made a mistake. 
He has never made a misjudgment. He has never enacted a punishment that was not deserved. And we deserve hell. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews 13.8 takes the crosshairs of God's judgment off of the sinners in scripture and puts them on you and me. Because the same God that was back then and punished sin back then must punish sin today. They deserve death back then. We deserve death today because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here's good news. The loving God that you read about is still loving today. And he will be loving forever. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, the same God. But God commendeth his love toward us. That's the same God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you say, I don't know that God, forgive, God could forgive me. I'm an adulterer. You, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. This is the same God that forgave David. I don't know if God for, could forgive. I'll learn how to speak. I don't know if God could forgive me. I'm a murderer. Hang on, hang on. This is the same God that forgave Moses. I don't know if God can forgive me. I'm a drunk. Look, 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost, and I doubt all of them were sober. <laughs> this is the same God that saved all of those people who believed in him. This is the same God that saved a lot of people in this room who used to be drunks too. Are we talking about the same God here or not? The God that saved my dad when he was a drunk is the same God that will save you because he's the same today as he was yesterday and he will be forever. I don't know if he can save me. I'm a liar. He saved Zacchaeus. I don't know if he can save me. I'm dabbling in the occult and in Satanism and, and devils. This is the same God that cast out 2,000 devils with a word and saved Mary Magdalene who had seven in her. I don't know if God could save me. I'm damaged. This is the same Jesus who looked at the woman caught in sin and said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's still loving. And he will be loving forever. He's still powerful. And he will be powerful forever. Do you realize we serve the same God that parted the Red Sea? And you're doubting if he can deliver you from your problems? This is the same God that calmed the storm and you're doubting if he can bring peace in your life? This is the same God that opened blind eyes and opened deaf ears and made lame people walk again and you don't think he can change your life too? This is the same God who is powerful enough to rise again from the dead and you don't think he could bring abundant life to you? He's still caring just as he always was caring. The same Jesus who in the middle of the night listened to Nicodemus's question. He'll listen to your prayers. And the same God who sent an angel to rock Elijah to sleep when he was in the worst part of his life. He cares for you too. Because he's the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. Without Hebrews 13, 8, the Bible would be a window into the past. That's all it would be. Hebrews 13, 8 makes it a mirror into the present. 
that shows you your standing with God. And it requires you to answer the question, what will you do with a God so holy? What will you do with a God so righteous? What will you do with a God so loving? What will you do with a God so caring? What will you do with a God so trustworthy? What will you do with him? Without Hebrews 13.8, this book is a book that tells us about a bunch of dead people. Hebrews 13.8 makes this a book that tells us about a living Savior who will never change. And it thereby connects every single verse to one specific purpose. And the purpose is to tell you this. The purpose is to confront you with this message. Every Bible verse is there to confront you with this message. You must believe that the God who was holy back then is still holy today and holy enough to hold you accountable for your sins. You must believe that the God who was so righteous yesterday is still righteous today and would be righteous in sending you to hell because you are the one who has chosen to sin against him. You must believe that the God who was so loving back then is still loving today and he's loving enough to be willing to save you if you will believe and trust in him. And you must believe that the God who was so powerful back then is still powerful enough today to be able to save you if you will believe and trust in him. You must believe that the God who was so caring back then is still caring today and caring enough to keep his promises to you. And he's caring enough to lead you when you don't know what to do. And hear your prayer when you call and rescue you when you fall down and cleanse you when you confess and use you when you submit. You must believe it because look at all he's done and he hasn't changed. You must believe. How many of you would say, Pastor, I have? I have believed. I know I'm going to heaven when I die for a Bible reason. Because I've asked Jesus to be my savior. I believe in the gospel. That he died and he was buried and he rose again for me. If you can say that truthfully, don't raise your hand if you can. If you can say that truthfully, you raise your hand. I have believed. Don't raise your hand if you can. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I didn't see anybody who couldn't. But if you could not raise your hand. You must, listen, listen, I'm not done, hang on, yet. You must anchor your everything on Jesus Christ. Your family, your soul, your spirit, your life, your job, your car, your kids. You must anchor everything on him, starting with your soul or in a world that is chaotic and changing as the sea, you will be carried away. But with him, you will be established with grace. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.